That's, isn't that a great song? But gosh, Amen. it's a powerful, powerful lyrics. Um, Amen. You know, putting the groove aside, it's got some really powerful lyrics. Well, that's in it. all right. I, I think some of us are going to be surprised when we get to heaven because we're going to be dancing and we're going to be shouting and we're going to be running and we're going to be doing a lot of things that we thought we'd never do. And uh, and uh, I won't ha- and I won't have to worry about these knees and these hips and everything getting in my way. And I won't have to sit down. I won't have to sit down and say, "Oh, wait a minute, I got to sit down and rest." Right. And I won't care. I won't care. And I'll, you'll know which one I am because I'm going to be the one that's running the fastest, jumping the highest, and yelling the loudest. So if you have any doubt and you see somebody up there looks uh, on this world would look like an idiot, that'll be me. Okay. Praise the Lord. Good. Thank you. That was a good song. I'm going to be asking some questions this morning too. So this, uh, I thought, wow, this is a great time. I'm going to be here for two weeks. I got four services. It'd be a great time for a series cool. So I sit there, oh, right, I'm working on this series, and I'm working on this series. I think, oh, man, this is going to be good. I, uh, you know, whatever, because I have, don't have to worry. What am I going to preach, you know, for one week? It's kind of hard preaching one week sometimes, because you got so much to say. And if you sit through my Sunday school class, they kid me, and they say, well, we got through one scripture today, or we got through two, because I get one scripture, and man, I can just run with that scripture, and that, that'd be all I talk about. But after I got through and went through, though, did those, you know, things and had everything all lined up, then God starts dropping something else in my heart. Oh, and I thought, oh, God, I spent all this time. I spent all week working on these things. Come on. Nope. And all he gave me was bailout. And, of course, we all know this week in the news. Well, before I do that, let me pray before I forget. I'll, I'll get wound up and I'm... I, I definitely don't want to do that because if a God isn't here, doesn't anoint me, then I'm going to sit down because there is nothing you want to hear that's just from me. So, precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day again, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for thy presence, Lord, that we can sense here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that your continued anointing would flow through this place, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint me this morning, Lord, as I... As I Talk about this message, Lord, that you've given me this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd open their hearts, Lord, that they may receive it, Lord, as from you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we know, this last week, if you haven't, you probably live in a cave or something because it's been everywhere on the news about this government bailout. They, they changed the name to say rescue plan. It's not a bailout plan, it's a rescue plan. And we've heard about it, whether you disagree with it or not, it doesn't really matter because they don't care what we think anyway. And uh, in the bailout, or the rescue plan, there's conditions and there's requirements for that bailout plan. And they acquire all the assets involved in this bailout or rescue. We don't have, okay, conditions for it, okay, that makes sense, because we don't want to just give them a blank check because they'll use it. You give me a blank check, hey, I can, write, I can write big numbers. I write small numbers with mine, but I can write really big numbers with yours. And so that's what the government would do. So we did that, and then we come and we think, well, God's bailing us out. God has a rescue plan for us, but we don't think that God's rescue plan should have any conditions or requirements. I don't know why that is. And we don't think God should be entitled to the assets that we have. After all, they're mine. If I buy a car from you and I give you the money, I'm expecting to get the title. I don't give you the money and you get to keep the car. That isn't the way it works. 
And when we come for a bailout, we come with everything that we have, with all our assets, with all the, that we have. And they don't belong to us anymore. They belong to God. In this case, God. Because that's where the emphasis is. It's what God is doing for us. God is the one that is rescuing us. And we aren't the ones to get to give the conditions. And we're not the ones to give the requirements. God is. It's amazing to me how we'll stand an hour, hours in line, to get the new iPhone that comes out. No, I won't. I won't either. I go up there and I, th I say, man, those people must not have a life. What is the matter with those people? Wait a, wait a couple months, it'll be half price. And that was the case, as you, as you know. But they stood in line all like, they've got to be the first. They've got to be the first. Or the Harry Potter book comes out. I've got to be the first. I've got to get this book. I've got to be the first. Why? So I can say I was the first to get it. There's something about that. Something about that. But then we come to God, and eternal values aren't important to us. We'll change our whole lives around for something else that we want over here in this secular world. But when it comes to God, we're not willing to change anything around. Nothing at all. We want to keep everything we got. We just want to be a Christian and nothing changes. But that isn't the way God works. And I'm sitting here and I look around in this church since the last few months, in case you haven't noticed it, our numbers are starting to decrease. And I'm going, what is going on here? What is the problem? And I've been praying for this God. What is wrong? What is the, what is the problem? But it isn't just here. It's everywhere. Everywhere they're having the same kind of influxions in, in, in attendance. Or they'll come for a while and then you'll never see them again for three years or something. That's happening all over the country. And in the year of the decade of harvest, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, it was uh, where the Assemblies of God had 10 years of where they wanted to have more emphasis on reaching outside of our church doors to people that live in our communities. And they had a lot of emphasis on it. They went out a lot of places. They went and knocked on doors. I know we lived in, in Salt Lake at the time. And they had a lot of teams come back from uh, Illinois. And they came. And for a solid week, all they did was knock on doors and talk to them about the Lord and invite them to church. So at the end of that one year, there was 294,000 decisions for Christ in that year. Wow. One year. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But... Those were decisions. But only 14,000 of that 294,000 attended church, attached themselves to a fellowship. Oh, they made the decision, but you never seen them again. And I wonder, why? What is the problem? And I think some people may say, well, it's because, you know, we start hard preaching. That's got to be it. People don't like hard preaching. I personally like hard preaching because it convicts me, and I need to be convicted. I need God to t tell me, hey, quit doing something. So I need those kind of things. But it isn't just hard preaching. It can't be. There are a lot, of, a lot of churches that are having the same kind of situations, and they're not preaching those kind of messages. So it can't be that. What is it? And I got to thinking about it and wondering what it is. And I found, finally come to a conclusion that it's because people preach a feel-good gospel. I could fill this pew up, pastor could fill this pew up. If all I did was t t tell you, you're okay, I'm okay, you're going to make it, trust God, you're going to have this, you're going to get that. Oh, you got money problems? Oh, don't worry about it, God's going to take care of it. Give me $100, you'll get 1000 by next week. The coffers would be full. But the reality is, that isn't the way it works. Because Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The problem is we're preaching this feel-good gospel 
and we're ignoring the law. We're ignoring the Ten Commandments. And fortunately, the Ten Commandments are thou shalt not. And I know we're all saying, oh, as Christians, we're not under the law. That's right, we're not. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But in uh, Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But the, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. If we aren't a Christian, we're not free from the law. And if we're preaching a feel-good gospel, how are these people going to know what the law is? Because it says the law of the Lord is perfect, and it's the law that converts the soul. Not the feel-good gospel. People are going to come. People will come because they want to hear it. We'll, we'll fill this church. We were thinking about blowing out this wall. That's where we were at. But all of a sudden, I do, and I thought, man, Lord, what's going on here? And if we're not under the law, why does the Holy Spirit keep speaking to us? Why does the Holy Spirit keep telling us, don't do that? Don't do this. Or we do something say, repent of that. It's because that's what that does. The law helps us to know how lost we are. If we don't have the law, if we're not preaching sin against sin, how are people going to know? People aren't going to be thankful. that We tell them, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. They'd look at you like you're crazy. They don't like that sin word. It doesn't fit in our society. I may, Oh, sure, I made some mistakes, but I haven't sinned. I'm not a sin, and you've offended me for telling me I'm a sinner. I don't like that. People think everyone else, there's so many people worse than I am. I'm a pretty good person, me. I am. Hey, don't call me I'm a sinner. I'm better than you, better than a lot of people I know. So if anybody gets in, it's going to be me. I'm going to get in because I'm not as good, bad as such and such. Isn't it amazing how many of us know a such and such or so and so? Isn't it amazing how many, how many of those we know when we're trying to compare ourselves with other people? But God's books don't work like that. And we need the law to tell us and to guide us how lost we are. If you're not lost, like men are when they're looking for an address until the GPSs were invented, they won't ask for directions because they don't think they're lost. Until he realizes, hey, I'm lost, he's not going to ask for directions. I don't care. We'll drive around all night. We'll drive around for two days. I'm not lost. Until he admits it, he has to. Then he'll ask directions. And that's what we're responsible to do as, as a church and, as a, and we're personal witnessing is to be able to take them, hey, this is, this is what it says. Are you doing this? And we do, all roads lead to God. That's a real prominent one nowadays. All roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you do. We're all going to end up in the same place. So if we're going to all end up in the same place, then it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what you do. But I don't read that in the Bible. God doesn't grade on a tour, on a curve. We think God grades on a, cur- on a curve. If so many of your classes get F's and so many classes get A, then I'm right in the middle. I'm going to get a C. Or at least I'm going to get a D. I'll get a passing grade and be able to go on to the next level. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades by this. And if we throw this out and we quit talking about sin and all the things that, that we need to quit doing in order to make it to heaven, how are you going to get saved? How is people going to get a, their lives going to change? 1 Corinthians one uh, eighteen says, The preaching of the cross, or Jesus died for your sins, to, is to them that perish foolishness. It's foolishness to people. And they laugh at us and they laugh at the idea of it. Why? Because they're perishing. They can't see. They can't see the reality of Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That means absolutely nothing to them. 
So we have to find a way to reach them. We understand breaking man's law. We don't have a problem with that. We know if we break man's law and you get caught, you're going to stand before a judge and you're going to account for what you did. And there's some things that you do in breaking our laws that have a pre-required sentence for whatever it is that you do. In God's law, you break God's law, he has a pre-required sentence applied to breaking his law. And it is Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You break God's law, there's the penalty. And if we quit putting a penalty attached to things, how are we ever going to repent? How are we ever going to find God and find the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sin? And if we as a, as a congregation or even witnessing, if all we do is tell them, you know, Jesus died for your sins, everything's going to be fine. It's, you know, everything's going to be fine. Say our little, little uh, pet thing that we like to say when, when we talk to people about the Lord. The law convicts us and leads us to God's rescue plan. And when we do that, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It isn't foolishness. It makes sense. Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was my schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law, or the Ten Commandments, that's our schoolmaster. When we sit there and we look at those and know that we can't do that, what are we going to do? The penalty is death for breaking these. What am I going to do? It leads me to the payment, which is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. But if I don't use the first, if I don't use the law, if I don't use, convince people that they've broken the law, there's no penalty. They don't care. And when we throw out the gospel, when we throw out the law that draws people to Christ, we had to come up with some other way to draw people. How are we going to get people in the church? We throw out all the bad stuff. We throw out all the sin preaching. What are we going to use? How are we going to get people to come in here? That's when we started using the feel-good gospel. Ah, and that, the devil likes that. That's, oh, the devil loves that message. Come to Jesus, your life is going to be better. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to have all the money you want. You're never going to have any problems. You're never going to have any cares. Just come to God, and everything's going to be fine. But, of course, make sure you put your money in the offering. You know, and you don't need to worry about it because whatever you put in, God's keeping track, and he's going to multiply it 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. So don't worry about it. If you need money, don't matter. God will do it. We preach that gospel all the time. People's going to start coming in here because when they leave, they'll feel better about themselves. But their souls will not be converted. And we're in the business of leading people to Christ, not leading people to a church or to a denomination. That's our goal. And so we have to sometimes bring out the big guns. Sometimes we have to bring out the things that aren't easy to hear. I need to hear those things sometimes because we get so settled in our own ways of doing things that we kind of forget. And next thing we know, we kind of slid a little bit. So we need that. And so with, with this life enhancement gospel that we have, I want to give you an example uh, of the difference between the two. The life enhancement gospel is like there's two men on the plane. The first man, the stewardess comes down the aisle and he gives the guy a parachute. And it says to the, says to the guy, here, this will make the flight easier. You'll enjoy the flight more with this parachute. And you kind of look at him, the guy looks at it and thinks, this is ridiculous, and kind of throws it under his seat. And if you've ever been on a plane, you know how uncomfortable they are. 
They're not fun. You barely got enough room in every day. They're kind of shrinking the seats so they can get more people in there because of the gas situations and things. And we're, you're so uncomfortable. If you're on a long flight, man, you reach a point where you'll try anything if you just have a little bit of comfort. You're tired of kicking the seat in front of you because they keep turning around looking at you. So they, well, maybe I'll try that. So you reach down, you put on the parachute, and you notice it's kind of heavy. Ugh, a little heavy trying to put on. So you, but you could, well, she said it's going to improve my flight. And I definitely want this flight to improve. So they put on the parachute, <coughs> and you kind of try to sit down. Well, you can't sit down because you got the parachute on your back. And now that little space that you had is even smaller. And you can't get comfortable, and you're sitting there, and you thought, well, and all you think is, well, it's going to make my life better. It's going to make my life better. And that is your mantra. And then you, all of a sudden you sit there and you think, no matter how uncomfortable you are, and pretty soon your knees start going to sleep because of the seat up in front of you. And then all of a sudden the other passengers on the plane are starting to look at you, and they're pointing at you and laughing at you and giggling at you. And, and you're sitting there, man, what's going on here? Oh, she said it's going to improve my flight. It's going to improve my flight, so I'm just going to stick it out here. I'm just going to stick it out here. And pretty soon you've had enough. You're not comfortable. The steward said it's going to improve my flight. It didn't improve my flight. And I've had it, and you take off the parachute, and you throw it to the ground because you've had enough. Now, the second passenger, the stewardess comes up the aisle and he gives the guy a parachute. He says, here, this parachute is going to save your life because this plane is under, we're having problems with the engines and it's gonna go down. And this parachute will save your, th save your life because you're gonna have to jump out of this plane and this parachute will save your life. Now, the guy thinks, oh, the guy says, thank you, thank you, because it's gonna save my life. So he puts on the parachute, and he sits there, and he sits down. Oh, it's heavy. It's heavy. And he tries to sit in the chair, and it, it, the same problems the other guy had, the same situation. But he said, oh, this is going to save my life. And all of a sudden, our attitude towards the parachute is different. It's going to save my life. I don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah, I'm uncomfortable, it, it, but it's going to save my life. And the passengers start making fun of you. But you don't care because you have this peace and this confidence in your soul knowing that this plane is going down and this is going to save my life. So you don't notice the, the rising of the passengers. You don't notice the uncomfortableness of the parachute on your back. You don't notice all these things because your emphasis is upon the end item. You're going to jump out of the plane. And that's what we're doing in the church. We're teaching here, take Jesus. He'll improve your flight. In reality, we need to be preaching. You're going to have to jump out of the plane. And if we put on the parachute with the sole idea of having our life better, then the first problem we have or the situations in our life happen, we're going to say, well, it's the parachute. It's because of the parachute I'm having these problems. And we put up with it for a while, but sooner or later, we're going to take it off and throw it to the ground because it wasn't as advertised. And if it was a TV ad, you could sue, sue them for false advertising. But that's what we're doing. We're false advertising. Jesus is going to improve your flight. When in reality, we need to pre be preaching, judgment's coming. And the knowledge that we're going to have to jump out of the plane, that's what helps us get through, this, through the situation. Modern gospel says put on Jesus Christ. Peace, joy, love, all those other kind of things. And the sinner does experiment with it. And he says, you know, maybe it's true, and they try it but it won't work. And they get discouraged, they get mocked, and they have no source within them. Because of what did they do? They just took on Jesus to improve their flight. And all the time, every time, it doesn't do that. 
in our sense of, of that. But if we put on the parachute for a different reason, then we have the security knowing that one day I'm going to need this parachute, and one day this parachute is going to save my life. Hebrews 9.27 says, That is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. When we explain to sinners, and I'm among them, what's going to happen for breaking God's law, and what the consequences are, and that there's coming a judgment day, and that if we don't put on Jesus Christ, if we don't put him on to keep us from that point in our life, how are they going to get saved? They're going to just come in for a life enhancement program. And people that do that, they don't stay very long. They were talking in Sunday school. Susie was about a friend of hers that uh, said he was kind of backslid. And I said, that's kind of be like being kind of pregnant. You know, there's no, either you are or you aren't. And I have a, a question about people that, that backslide up and down, up and down, whether they really got really saved in the first place. Because people that have that issue, they want the life enhancement. And when life falls over them like a wave, then they're gone because it wasn't as promised. We need to be preaching judgment day is coming. Acts 17.31, because he hath appointed a day in which we will, he will judge the world in righteousness. This life isn't a matter of happiness. It's a matter of righteousness. And God is going to judge us by righteousness. But when we put on Christ, we're covered with his righteousness. And, though, and when we stand before God, all that he's going to be able to see is Jesus. And he's going to say, come in, welcome, my good and faithful servant. But if all we come in and put it on is for life enhancement, we're going to stand there naked before God because we, put, we tried to be saved by some other way. We're trying to use another road to reach God, and we can't. We have to recognize the law. We have to recognize the penalty of the law before we're going to accept a true conversion to Christ. Peace and joy are legitimate fruits of salvation. They're legitimate. When you become a Christian, your life is different. You do have a peace that passes all understanding. You have a joy unspeakable and full of glory, and you don't need to worry about it. No matter what you go through, you can feel that peace inside you. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. We don't have to worry about it because we know that God's in control. And we're not in it for our comfort in this life. We're in it for the jump. And when we change our focus on the jump, then we can endure these things for a season because this life is so short. This life is just in relationship to what can be gained when we actually put on Christ. And then we don't care what people say or what they think. And because when we say the law, and everybody says, well, I, I don't agree with some of that things. And we all have some kind of moral code. So we can use people's moral code to reach them. Because, you know, all right, we need to do this. How do we do that? We all have a moral code of some kind. And you can talk to somebody about, what do you think is right and wrong? And then, you know, someone will probably tell you. And I may disagree with what they think is right and wrong. Child molesters think that they should be able to do whatever they want with anybody's children anytime they want. That's their moral code. I disagree with that moral code. And you may disagree with some of my moral code. And I may disagree with some kind of your moral code. But we need the law. We need God's word. Because it is the plumb bob. It's the thing that's straight level that we move, pull everything else on. If you start on a house, you've got to start with one, one position, one point. And everything has to be level according to that point. And if we throw out God's law, then whatever you want to do is fine. My, my moral code says I can kill you. Okay, goodbye. Doesn't matter because 
That's why we need God's law. That's why we, we can't throw it away. We've got to have something that is consistent. Otherwise, 2 plus 2 ends up to be 5, and we all know that's wrong. It, ha- it ends 2 plus 2 is 4, and that's what God's word is. It's a 2 plus 2 equals 4. 4 is God's answer, and we have to rely on God's answer and line up our moral code with God's moral code. And if we have things in our, in our life that we think is okay, that the Bible condemns, that we have to come to God and say, God, change my heart so I have a different attitude towards that. Convict me. And that's what happens when we, when we read God's word. It convicts us so we can get all this junk out of our life because all it does is hinder us. So moral codes don't work. And if we stop preaching against sin, we won't have true, true conversions and people will backslide. And then our congregation will start depleting. And all the churches across the nation will start depleting. The Bible says judgment starts at the house of God. That's where we got to start. we got to start up here. And then we got to start in the pews and everything. Because time is short. And we got to quit messing around. we got to start doing what God wants us to do to reach these people. And help them to understand that judgment day is coming. And not try to entice them with life enhancements. Because that's just a fruit of salvation. It's not something, a legitimate drawing card to salvation. So we got to do that. Society says laws, so we'll know. They publicize their laws so we won't break them. That's why they do it. Well, we have to do the same things. We want to publicize God's law and the way he believes, the way he thinks about things to keep us from doing some things. Because some of us, I'm not kidding you, there's some people who are dumber than a fence post. And you just sit there and you just wonder, how in the world, why can't they see that? Have you ever done that, tried to explain something to somebody? And it's just, they just can't get it. They just can't get it. So God has to have something that's simple for anyone to understand. It's real easy. A kid knows a lot what's right and wrong. You ask a four-year-old, he knows what's right and wrong in a lot of things. They know when they're doing wrong. And you don't have to teach him to sin. You have to teach him not to. And there has to be consequences. If you want your kid to quit doing something, you say, now, Johnny, you know that makes me very unhappy. I don't think you should do that. I remember when my, our, our oldest son, when he was a baby, and I was trying to teach him, I vowed I was not going to take anything off the furniture for my kid. He was going to learn not to touch it. And I remember one time he had something he wasn't supposed to have, and he grabbed a hold of that and just looked at me. He was going to test me. So he grabbed a hold of that, and I go, no, no, put it down. He's hung on to it. So I slapped his hand. It got tighter and tighter around the thing. And I slapped it again. And I'm, I'm slapping his hand. His hand's getting red, but he's not letting go of that thing for nothing. Finally, I sit there, and I get his fingers, and I just, <laughs> I said, no. And sometimes that's what God has to do with us. He has to keep slapping our hands, and sometimes he has to pull it out of our, our fingers in order for us to, to get the message. And we as Christians, another thing that we do is we try to get people to say this little prayer. If you say this little prayer, that's all you have to do. So we lead them through this little simple prayer. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I sin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And we think, all right, now they're a Christian. That's it. That's all they got to do. Not have to worry about it. And then we go over and try to get the person next to them. And then we try to get the next door. We try to make it like an assembly line. And all we got to do is get them to say this little prayer. And that's it. And we look at all these people that we've had. Look at all these decisions for Christ. I am so excited. I led a thousand people to Christ in my lifetime. Did you really? Did we really? There's a way in which we lead people to Christ. 
First of all, we have to get them to acknowledge they're sinners. We have to get, get them to acknowledge that they're lost. How do we do that if we throw out the law? We say, have you ever, have you ever told a lie? Everybody's told a lie. Well, you just broke the law. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Uh, even from work? Box of paper, clips, pencil, a couple of things of paper? Did you? Well, yeah. Okay, that means you're a thief. So already we know, already, that you're a thief and you're a liar. Right? They, they don't like that, but in reality, that's what they just admitted to. So it's easy if you use, have a little bit of patience, a little bit of ingenuity, and know a person in their, in their work environment or things like that, taking time to get to know the people. Then you can convince them. And then when they say, well, yeah, I have done. And then you say, do you know, because of that, God says, you're going to die. You're going to die and go to hell. Do you know that? And then all of a sudden, because they found out, yes, I am a sinner. I have done things wrong. I'm a liar and a thief. And you can just go through the list because, you know, that's a pretty good list. If you ever wanted something that didn't belong to you, how many of us didn't want, did that? You didn't have to just to go steal it. You had to just want it. Oh, I did that. And so now, we as Christians, we say, well, I don't want that. I want one that looks just exactly like that one. Just exactly. Because, see, then we, we're not covenant. We're coveting one that looks just like that one. See, that's how we get away with it. And that's what we do. We make excuses for our sin. Romans 10, 9, and says, well, let's see. I'm going to get ahead of myself here. We have to acknowledge we're sinners. That's the first step. And that's kind of sometimes the easiest thing. Because deep down in our hearts, we all know that we've fallen short. We've missed the mark. That's what we say. We've made mistakes. We like to cover it up. Sounds better. I made a mistake instead of, I'm a sinner. I'm a dirty, filthy, lying, thief, and covetous person. Ah! We have to believe. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We, inter we misinterpret belief as knowing something. I mean, there isn't very few people, unless you're, I don't know, somewhere not in America, that doesn't believe that God or Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he died on the cross. There's not very few people that don't know that. There are some in America that do. There are some. There are still some. But the majority of us, we believe that. We think, well, I know that. I know he died on the cross. I know he raised from the dead on the third day, so therefore I'm saved. Whoa, 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 back up the train. Back up the train. Have you confessed that? Knowing it in your head and knowing it in your heart is two different things. Some people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, the difference from here to here. And this is where it needs to be. And when it's in here, then we can endure the problems of life's going to throw to us when it's in here. But when it's in here, then it's got to come out here. We have to confess him. These people say, I'm a closet Christian. I'd, where does it say you can be a closet Christian? You have to tell somebody. You have to confess, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm a sinner and I went to church and I got saved. Well, what does that mean? Just say that to your friends and you're going to get their attention. They want to know that, that, that got this heathen to admit that he was a sinner when they knew it all the time. It was easy for people to know I was a sinner because I was a very good sinner. <clears throat> Don't look at me like you're crazy. Some of you are that way too. <laughs> you are good sinners too. So it's easy for people to think I was a sinner, but when it comes internally, they don't. So we have to confess it. We have to confess it. Lord, forgive me for my sin. So we come to, the, come to uh, the cross or we come to the foot of the cross and we say, God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And we start looking at our lives and say, Lord, my sins. And then start confessing my sins. 
Forgive me for lying. Forgive me for stealing. Forgive me for whatever, whatever it is that I've done. And Lord, forgive me for all the things that I don't remember that I've done. Because when you're spent a whole lifetime of sin, there's a lot of things that we need to get out. And then as we live our life and God starts bringing those things up in our mind, then confess them. Get them out of the way. Because it's just baggage. That, that parachute's awful heavy to begin with. But it's not as heavy as it is when you try to load it with your sins. And you try to load it with rocks. No one jumps out of a plane with a parachute loaded with rocks. They'll come down. You may hit the ground okay, but then the rocks will come and kill you. So the, the parachute's heavy enough. So we want to get rid of all that weight that so easily besets us, so, so easily causes problems. So we want to confess these sins to God. Forgive me, Lord, for lying about that. Forgive me for this attitude. Forgive me for hating my brother. Forgive me for whatever it might be. And help me to forgive the people that have done things to me because that is a rock in your parachute too. So we need to get all that stuff out. Then we need to repent. Okay, we got two steps done. Well, I'm a sinner. I've confessed my sins. And I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin and raised from the dead on the third day. Okay, I know that. But now, this one's kind of a, a tricky one. This one's, some of those other ones are a little easier. The repenting stuff, that's a little harder. Repent means to turn around and go a different direction. See, people, why they want to come to Christ. They want to be, okay, I'm in, I'm a sinner. I'll confess my sins. But then my life is not different. I haven't turned around. I haven't changed directions. I'm still going this way. And unfortunately, this road leads to hell. This road leads to the judgment of God. We have to turn around. And when we turn around, then we've repented. That's when we've repented. Not when we did the whole thing. It's a package thing. We have to do all three of these things. Then it's a complete package. And then it's in our heart. And then our lives are truly changed. And then we're a new creature. The people that come in for the easy gospel, they just turn over a new leaf. I'm going to quit doing some stuff. Have you ever heard that? Starting, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'm going to live differently. And they do for about a month, maybe. Just like after 9-11, everybody, all of a sudden, the churches were full. Everybody crying out to God for mercy and grace and please help us. But then it wears off because all it was was a feel-good gospel. And the feel-goods can only last for so long. Unless you feed that feel good. Unless you feed it every day with God's word. And remind yourself that you're in it for the jump and not for the journey. And that's what we need to do. Jesus preached repentance. In Matthew, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew 4, 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's whole gospel before Christ, with the forerunner of Christ, was repent, repent, repent. You sinners. And, he, and he, you want to talk with somebody that preached hard sermons, just listen to what John called people or what Jesus called people. Jesus called Pharisees, you whitewashed sepulchers. Whoa! Oh, wait a minute. We said that in our churches today, the half the congregation get up and leave. Because it isn't nice to hear because we have this preconceived idea of how wonderful we are and how lucky God is to have us. God is so lucky. I'm so glad you ought to be thankful to me. You ought to sing my praises every day. We don't say that, but we act like it. We act like we're God's gift to humanity. There was only one gift to humanity, and they killed him. So you better watch, you know, that wish. So we need to preach against sin. We need to preach against the things to make people feel bad about what they're doing. So it will convict us, and we'll make a change in our life. God didn't promise us a life without problems. You're not going to find that anywhere. 
He promised to be with us and never leave us and forsake us. Why would he say that if he expected our life to be good? If our life's going good, we don't, you know, we have a tendency, that's when we forget God. Life's going good, we don't need God. And he told us to pick up a cross. Well, does that sound like it's a life enhancement program? We look at the disciples' life. All but one of them was martyred. And they tried to kill John three times. Boiled in oil. I don't, that isn't my idea of a life enhancement program. It may be to yours. Deep fried is not my, my forte. Being stoned, I don't, wouldn't want being stoned. I wouldn't want somebody to tie my feet up in the air and beat them with rods till, my, till all of my bones in my feet are broken. That doesn't sound like a life enhancement program. And in this world that we live in today, people are still going through those kind of things. They're dying for their belief in Christ. They're being persecuted. They're in prison. They're in all these things. And we're sitting there trying to preach a life enhancement program? How can we dare do that? It isn't God's going to make your life better than this journey because God cares more about our character than our comfort. And we as a church care more about where you're going to spend eternity than tickling your ears so we can get more money in the offering so we can get the church filled and we can go say, how many church, new people you got in your church? Oh, we got 100 new people this year. All right, aren't we great? How many are going to be in fellowship in a year? That's what we want to care about. That's why we're, we're, we're hitting so hard in a lot of things that isn't easy to swallow. I read this book every day and it isn't easy to swallow. And I sit there and I see myself and say, God, shine your light in my heart. That's what we want to do. We should ask God, God, shine your heart in your light in my heart so I can get this stuff out of myself. So get it out so my parachute's a little lighter so I don't have to carry such a heavy load. Because he said he bore our burdens and carried our sorrows. And by his stripes we are healed. But if we don't get healed in this life, are we still going to serve God? If you haven't got your mind made up, you won't. I've determined a long time ago, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. Take away my earthly gain. Take my worldly fame. All I need is Jesus. It doesn't matter. I've made up my mind. So if I have to have my knees replaced, I have to have my hips replaced, if I have to have my back operated on, if I have to, every day I get out of, get out of bed in the morning and stuff don't work and it hurts and, and I say, God, please help me, please help me, and all of a sudden nothing changes, am I still going to serve God? I am, because I made that decision. I've made that commitment. We live in an uncommitted society. We make commitments like people change their shirts. How else can people be married six times or five times or whatever? Because there's no commitment. No commitment. And so we have a, we're, we're talking to a society that doesn't have commitment and say, you have to be committed to Christ. But here's this feel-good gospel. We're depriving people of the truth. And Jesus is all about truth. Jesus is all about truth. If you came to me and I was a doctor and I sat down with you because you was having some issues in your life and we went through all your symptoms and all your tests and I sit there and I told you, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have this, this fatal disease and you're going to die. And I devastate you. You're devastated. And then all of a sudden you want to know all about this disease. You want to know, is there anything that I can do? And the doctor will sit there, and he's already done research, and he knows the things that, well, these are the things that you can try. These are the things that you can do. And I don't care if the doctor told you to paint yourself blue, strip yourself naked, and hang yourself in a tree upside down. You do it for the cure, for that cure. Well, we all have a disease, and that disease is sin. 
And there is a cure available. And it's Jesus. He's the only cure for the disease. And we have to come his way. If we don't come his way, we don't come at all. All roads don't lead to, to God. All roads lead through the cross. And it's a very narrow passage. And if we throw out the only way that we can draw people to Christ, and we throw out the only way that's going to convict people of their sins, we might as well close the doors. We might as well shut it down, save the money on the utilities, sell the property, and divide it up against all of us because we've wasted our time. We waste our time preaching. We waste our time doing things if that's all we want to do. But we want to be more than that. We want to be more than that. We want to offer you the cure, the only true cure. And we want to be able to say, it doesn't matter what happens in this life. It's for the jump. It's for the jump. It's not for the journey. Although the journey, my life has been so much better since I became a Christian, so much better. I wouldn't trade my life as a Christian for nothing. If they offered to give me every single dime I put into an offering, they could keep it. I just wished I could have given more. Because I've already made up my mind. And I'm waiting for the jump. I'm preparing myself for the, for the jump. I have a question for you this morning. Which one of these have you, which one of these passengers have you been? Have you been one that put on Christ for life enhancement? Or you are one of those that's put it on for the jump? Let's bow your heads. If that's you this morning, and you, and you thought, yeah, that's been me. I've just put on this parachute for my, to enhance my life. 